Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. However, standing by right now is the one and the only, Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You go ahead and chop me. Give me a big chop. I'll sell, I'll give you my whole chest and everything. And then I'll look at you like this, and then I'll punch you right in the mouth as hard as I can. (laughs) Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another edition of Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Uh, I hope that you've had a great New Year's so far. It is uh, 2020. Remember, you got to write that down, 2020, uh, whenever you or even type it, because we get into that... Uh, <laughs> You know, that, we get used to writing 2019, and then suddenly you got to put 2020 on the check. But uh, so far, it's been a great one for me, and I'm really, really excited about everything that's going on with uh, Prime Time. And uh, man, I'm sorry. I know I've been telling you for weeks we got some big announcements coming, but uh, uh, working with the other side, I just want to make sure we do everything right. Uh, dot all our I's, cross all our T's, but I'm telling you, it's going to be a lot of fun coming up, and I will be revealing that news very soon. But in the meantime, we've got a lot happening, a lot of great content we've been putting up. This past Wednesday, we did another uh, uh, one of our network classics. Uh, we did a uh, Monday Night Raw from February 15th, 1993, and uh, in that episode, uh, a lot going on in there, but 
kind of captured what was happening in that uh, period of time in 93. It was not a great time for the world of professional wrestling all the way around, not just for the WWF, but there was a lot of turmoil uh, in the uh, in professional wrestling, and the WWF was struggling uh, in many ways, uh, trying to find their way, and they had just started this new show, uh, Monday Night Raw. It was about uh, just a month old in this episode, and this is where, you know, they still have, uh, they've got uh, Vince and the Macho Man Randy Savage, as well as Rob Bartlett. Do you remember Rob Bartlett as the uh, color uh, commentary, uh, doing the color commentary along with along with uh, Vince and man, I, I, I tell you, it was just, it was, it's so much fun to look at that show because I remember when we started it and they really didn't know what they had. Uh, they knew what they wanted to do with it. They had all these great ideas. They wanted to see how it would play out because, uh, you know, it replaced primetime wrestling. And it was, you know, it was really ahead of its time in a lot of ways as far as the concept of it. I mean, they wanted to do it in this very intimate atmosphere, but they wanted it to just be electric when it came to, you know, excitement. And, and they jammed that house, the Manhattan Center in, in uh, New York City, to the rafters with people. And they were right there on top of the ring. And then you have your announce team right there at ringside calling everything. And, uh, and, they, and they brought out all the superstars. Uh, although it would take a while for it to find its stride, but the early days are fun to watch, so I hope you'll check out that episode that uh, just dropped this past Monday. It's uh, the Monday Night Raw episode from February 15th, 1993. And uh, all, all of you also know that we drop a vault episode on Saturdays in case there's a, an episode you haven't seen from our library. We, uh, we pull up one of the old uh, uh, episodes that we have that you may not have listened to, and it's a great way for you to you know, check it out and... Uh, I know we've had some great ones. Uh, we've got, I think this this uh, past week we had Jameson, the episode with Jameson that we tracked down, and God, what a that was such a fun episode. There was so much going on in there. I had no idea what that, well, how much fun that was going to be talking with Jameson, but he was just a fantastic guest. So if you haven't listened to that, check it out. And uh, another great episode I'll tell you about in just a second that's on the way that you're about to listen to. But we're coming off uh, the episode from last week with uh, PCO, Pierre, Carl, Willet, uh, a freak of nature. Let's be honest here, man. He is, uh, you know, they, they uh, bill him as the monster, you know, kind of like this Frankenstein gimmick. But Jesus, this guy really, he is the real deal. I mean, he is just a freak. 50, uh, over 50 years old now. And I don't know if you checked out any of the videos uh, that, uh, that he has out there, you know, and he's with... Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, doing these these crazy ass videos where you know he gets electrocuted and he jumps into lakes and uh, you know it's just uh, just nuts. It's crazy. But physically, I mean, he's performing at a level right now that you know you'd think it would be somebody who was you know at at, at the peak of their career. You know, maybe late twenties, early thirties. He's doing these moon salts off the top. Uh, uh, top rope, or, you know, the uh, the the, the uh, turnbuckles there, and and landing on uh, he just uh, you know uh, captured the ROH uh, World Championship against Roosh, and uh, the finish of that is him doing a moonsault onto Roosh on a table, and my God, I mean uh, the bumps that he is taking, and and he admitted he admitted it that uh, he does have a thing for pain. He like he likes it, you know, he just. 
<laughs> he goes, oh, but you know, to a certain level, to a certain level, where most of us would have been uh, on the way to the emergency room. That's just another day at the office for PCO. But it was really fun catching up with him. I really like PCO. He's uh, just a great guy. And you talk about uh, you know a classic example of somebody who just refuses to give up. Incredibly disciplined. I mean, when when he started this uh, this research, and it was when the first time that we talked to him on on PTSM, and this was all just starting to happen. But you know, it, it just uh, turned around. You know, when he met uh, Destro. You know, in the uh, and, and that guy is just a freak too, and, and didn't think that he could hang with him and work out with him, but. PCO proved him wrong, and, uh, you know, just just amazing. I mean, really, you think about it, uh, what has happened since then, and uh, you listen to that episode, and it really lets you know that you never know when something is going to happen in your life that's going to change everything. And he talks about, you know, driving all night to go down to that event, and, you know, has a match that just blows the doors off uh, the event there. And by the time he gets home, his phone is ringing off the hook and he hasn't looked back and he's still, he's not done yet. He has all these goals and I wouldn't be surprised. You might see him up North. I mean, uh, the WWE, you never know, you never know, but, uh, really happy for him, uh, and everything that's happened with him in his life and just a great guy. I loved having PCO on, uh, once again, uh, I mentioned, uh, checking out all the content, uh, you know, uh, we've got something coming your way all the time and, uh, you can get it all, uh, by becoming a, a member, a Patreon member, of PTSM. And that's real easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash primetime Mooney, patreon.com slash primetime Mooney and, uh, join up uh, for as little as $4 and 99 cents a month. You get all that content early and ad free before anybody else does. We drop it early for you. And, uh, of course, all the other perks that uh, if you want to become a Mooney, one of the higher tiers, or a Legion of Who member, uh, you get those perks as well with the watch-alongs. And, uh, uh, you know, we uh, do shout-outs, and also you get your own podcast as a Legion of Who member, and even a watch-along, like your own private watch-along with me. So uh, that that's uh, something worth checking out. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Mooney, And we've been putting up a lot more stuff also on YouTube uh, where they've broken a lot of these down, uh, you know, uh, Casey and Evan, uh, they've broken uh, down uh, these some of these episodes in, into, uh, you know, clips, uh, some of the best parts of these uh, past uh, episodes of Primetime with Sean Mooney. And so if you want to go there and, uh, you know, for instance, we've got uh, the clip in there with Lex Luger talking about what happened with Elizabeth, that, that's just so you can listen to and, um, you know, just many, many others. And that's real easy to do. Just go to YouTube.com, of course, and just in the search bar there, just put uh, uh, Primetime Mooney, Primetime Mooney, and you go to our channel there. And please subscribe. And once again, I uh, remind you that uh, we loved uh, getting your uh, ratings, your feedback on iTunes. If, you, uh, if that is your platform, uh, please uh, give us a rating. Uh, we'd love the five-star rating and uh, also a review. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, so check that out. Um, another great episode coming up here uh, today on uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney. And this is, uh, I love having uh, people on that can really give you, a, a God, just such an honest and, and candid view of what it was like to be a professional wrestler 
during one of the greatest eras in professional wrestling, and many argue was the greatest era, uh, the 80s and the 90s, uh, especially when the WWF exploded. And he is one of those guys that had it all, really. Uh, it, the, the problem with uh, my guest this week is I just think that, you know, by the time everything was happening, he was older. And, uh, you know, uh, for that period of time, and uh, he, even though he was in fantastic shape, you know, um, this was the MTV crowd, you know, this was uh, that really helped kick things off. And Scott Casey, who uh, was with the WWF um, around uh, when he arrived there about 1987, uh, he was he was up there, as we'll talk about in the uh, the podcast. And uh, but he got a shot. He got a shot. Um, and he has an amazing career. I mean, really. But uh, with the WWF, you know, it's just one of those things. There are, there are people that, like I said, had it all, um, you know, had the looks, the, the physique, uh, the, the skill, um, you know, but it just uh, never happens. And uh, we go into uh, length about uh, his time with the World Wrestling Federation, but also he had a rich, rich career uh, prior to uh, arriving in the WWF, and uh, you're going to hear all about it. And it is, it is a great perspective on just uh, tremendous hard work and, uh, you know, working your way and, uh, you know, uh, finding success in the world of professional wrestling, which is not an easy thing to do, as you've learned uh, over the past couple of years and, and hearing about the experiences of some of these great personalities that we've had on here. But uh, right now, let's get to my conversation with Scott Casey. Check it out. Ding, ding, ding. Well, folks, joining me this week is a man who arrived at the WWF about a year before I did, back in uh, 1987, if I'm correct. And uh, this was during a time when the World Wrestling Federation was uh, still the Wild West, in a sense, uh, with wrestlers from around the uh, world trying to make the roster. And Scott Casey did just that. And over the course of uh, two years, stepped into the ring with some of the biggest names in professional wrestling. But before his time in the WWF, folks, uh, he had a long and storied career. And he finally decided to put it all down in a book. It's called The Last Ride, the tale of Cowboy Scott Casey. Scott, thanks for coming on Primetime. How are you? It's been a long and up and down road. And uh, I finally retired from it, and it's the the book is is doing good. It's called it? One Last Ride, yes, and it's the tale of Cowboy Scott Casey, and it's and there's all different shots of pictures of guys. In the front of it, it's got me and Sunshine, and me with uh, Cowboy Lane, and uh, me with wrestling Pat Patterson. So it's just a good collage of things like that yeah i'd love to uh, get a copy uh, i know it's uh, it's uh, it's just out now and uh was i was i correct when i said 87 is that when you arrived in the wwf yeah a lot of part of it and then i got out of it at, in 90 well uh you know uh, that was an, an incredible time and i'm sure you, you'll back me up on this when i say uh that era in wrestling was just amazing because it changed uh the business forever and as I said, you know, uh, once that uh, that wave started to roll, I mean, it really started going in 85. By 87, it was uh, one of the hottest properties uh, in entertainment. And, uh, you know, as I said, a lot of uh, wrestlers wanted to be a part of it. And it was not easy to get in 
Uh, what are your memories of what was happening, first of all, in uh, the world of professional wrestling when all that was happening, uh, first of all? I was uh, in San Antonio, and I worked for Joe Blanchard there at Southwest Championship Wrestling for almost 10 years. And, uh-huh. uh, I, you know, we I watched some of the shows that they had up there in the production, you know, and it like anything else to me to make it run. And they did a hell of a job with that. And, uh, I was notified by God, I can't, maybe Pat Patterson. And he told me to come up there in Buffalo. I, I flew from Dallas to Buffalo, New York. I mm-hmm. get in there and there must've been, I'm going to say a hundred guys or more. And most of them I knew, you know, from the past. Right. And it was incredible. You know how sometimes you get the feeling somebody's standing behind you and you don't really know who. And I turned around and here was Hogan. And he uh-huh. said, you may not remember me. And I said, well, I know who you are now. When you were wrestling in Florida, he said, uh, I used to come to the matches. I said, yeah, you were that tall, skinny kid that could play a bass guitar. And, uh, of course, he came considerably since then. But uh, yeah. we had a fun time talking. Yeah. Good yeah, that's, uh, that is pretty amazing when you think. And uh, we've, we've had the, the, you know, the story told many times. We've had Brutus on a few times. And uh, he talks about those days of uh, Florida Championship Wrestling and, you know, what a, a great uh, territory that was. Um uh, we're getting off track here a little bit because I do want to get back to the WWF. But, uh, you know, you think about when you arrived in the WWF, and uh, I, I think you were born in 47. Is that correct? Two days older than dirt now. So that would make me yeah. 72. And, uh, you know, it's it, like a friend of mine in St. Pete, Florida says, time is a diminishing asset. And, <laughs> and it big buy you in a hurry. Yeah. But if you think about it, though, the, the reason I wanted to mention that is that, uh, you know, you're 40 uh, at this point and uh, trying to make it in the WWF. Uh, were you just a, a, an incredible f- uh, physical specimen at that time? Because most most guys can't go, uh, you know, at all in the ring at that age. And yet you're competing with the elite in the, uh, the world of professional wrestling. I trained six days a week hour and a half to two hours. And I did that for 20 years. And Mm. it's one of these things. When I first started down in Florida, Sputnik Monroe, an old timer said, Scott, he said, you got to be in shape for this. We had an exercise that we did. It was a jumping squat and I got to where I could do 500 of them. And so, you know, and I wrestled a lot of hour matches you know, I, I, it was like one of them, he said, you're not tall enough. You're not big enough. You'll never make it. You'll never be able to get up there. And I'm one of these people say, don't tell me no, because if you want me to do brain surgery, I'll try to do it. You know, yeah. if I can figure it out, it, it was just, just the way I am, you know, and, and I worked and worked and worked and got my good, good shape. And I was up to about two fifty and, and, uh, enjoyed it. And, had a lot of fun meeting all the guys that were up there. I mean, most of them I'd seen them all over the country or the world, you know. But uh, it sounds like you got some great training uh, in Florida, and you mentioned those jump squats. I immediately thought of uh, Hiro Matsuda because uh, I, I know you trained under him. And, God, you hear the stories about what 
it was like to train with him. Uh, can you give us a little taste of what you experienced with him? Yeah, they had a place on Wilson's North Albany. That's where the yeah. office was, a little place, and they had a ring in the back. And, you know, Florida is hot and humid, and they didn't have air conditioning in it. But uh, also, let me back up and say, Bobby Duncombe told me, he said, if you can learn to do jumping squats and do a lot of them, he said, Matsuda will be impressed. And he was, you know, because, I mean, I was just greener than green you know, when I first started, obviously, like most of the guys. But, you know, you learn all the techniques and stuff. But I would just... I just get out there and do it, you know, and, uh, Matsuda, he, uh, he was very impressed that I could do that many of them. He said, Oh, you strong boy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the thing of it is, let me fast forward and say that when Matsuda died, I wrote his wife a letter and told her how much I enjoyed working with him. And he was such a nice man. And she wrote me back and said, thanks. She said that he, he spoke of you highly, and, and I appreciated that. But the guys down there, and I'm fast-forwarding going back here in my conversation, but, you know, Steve Kern was there. Dennis McCord was there. Uh, uh, George McCrary, Bob Roop. I mean, you know, future stars of the business were there. And, uh, you know, these guys were impressive. I mean, they, I don't know. You know, every guy, well, not every guy, but most of the guys are trainers. So I, mm -hmm. you know, you learn different ways of doing things. And I just, I picked it up and went with it. You know, I was very glad. I just, you know, I worked, Shauna worked my tail off to become good at it. And uh, yeah. that's all I can say about that. Well, the, the fact that you, you mentioned, yeah, but you mentioned that Masuda was impressed with you. I mean, that uh, you become part of a very, uh, small fraternity, I think, because a lot of, uh, a lot of men tried, a lot of men died trying. Uh, I know that, uh, uh, Hulk Hogan was, was, uh, uh, experienced some of his brutality. And, uh, uh, I, from what I remember from some of the conversations about his training methods is that I, he, I don't know if he was in dry cleaning or something like that, but he had a big warehouse and they would just clear everything out, uh, for the training sessions and there was like you said no air conditioning and we're talking florida folks so you can imagine uh yeah. i don't matter no matter what time of year it was it it must have just been incredible to try and train was, in those conditions it was miserable it really yeah. was you know but it's like i you know I, I had this mentality and i got it from my mother and i'll explain that story later but anyway this mentality that I am going to be able to do it and I will make something out of it and I will be a success. And, uh, but then fast forwarding to the time I got up to New York, you know, I was not used very well. And, uh, it, and then let me fast forward back to, to San Antonio. I, Eddie Mansfield and I set records that are still not broken at the Hemisphere Arena, and I don't even know if that's still there now, but, I mean, we mm -hmm. sold out everywhere we went, and it was very nice. I mean, it felt good to do that. But then I'm going back, I'll go back up to New York, you know, it just, they had so much talent there and yeah. so many different guys, you know. I mean, it was, it's, I was just, 
really impressed that I could stay up there as long as I did, you know, because it, it like I said, there was a lot of talent there. Yeah, and and I've uh, I've I've counted, and uh, you know they they have the rosters from that era, and they would go with maybe you know sixty something plus uh, uh, superstars, I guess we'd call them. And you think about it, of the thousands and thousands and thousands of professional wrestlers out there, that was the roster. That was uh, to be, uh, you know, included on that roster was a pretty amazing accomplishment considering uh, just really when it came down to it, how few yeah. of those athletes made it. So, yeah, that is uh, yeah. That, you know, that's something uh, definitely. It's, uh, you know, everybody's got an ego to some extent mm-hmm. on what they do. And I was, I guess, hurt because I didn't get a chance to prove what I could do. And uh, I just, you know, like I would talk to George Animal, Steele was, uh, George Steele was a good guy. And we'd room together a lot. And I, you know, and I'd ask him, I don't understand. Why won't they let me do something? Why can't I have a, something going on? Well, like, and then I, in the same breath, I can say they had so much talent, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, they just, I'll give you an example. And this is just a, what happened to me. Like I would wrestle guys like, uh, Oh God! What was his name? Uh, the tag team, uh, the uh, Orange Axe and Smash, or something. Yeah, demolition. And, yeah. and I'm wrestling these guys, and I, you know, having to put them over. And they both said after the match, they said, "We're sorry, we had to beat you." Now I don't. I never in my life had I heard that from anybody. Uh-huh. I always think, you know, from the old timers, I said, "Thank you for letting me win," or whatever, and. Uh, it just, you know, I knew what I was doing, okay? And, you know, mm-hmm. I trained guys like uh, uh, Booker T and his brother Stevie Ray. And yeah. I helped train uh, the Ultimate Warrior, Jim Hellwig. And oh, really? Honest to God, yeah, Jimmy was, when we were Dallas, he was Dingo and Warrior or something like that. Right. And right. when we were down there, you know, the Fritz asked me, he said, can you help him out a little bit? Because he's a little rough around the edges, but God darn, he looks good. You know yeah. what I mean? He was impressive. And I would work with him and work with him. And, and I, you know, some of it worked and some of it didn't. But due to the fact that he looked the way he looked, there was nobody else around that had a body like him. Yeah. And I told him one time, we were in the, we were rooming in, and uh, I said, he, he was mumbling about, it. no, they're not going to do anything with me. And I said, Jimmy, because his name's Jim Hillwig, you know, and I said, yeah. Jimmy, listen to me. I said, no one looks like you. I said, if you were just patient, they, you will be a world champion. He said, oh, come on, Scott. You know, I said, no. Left about a year after that, er, and lo and behold, guess who was the world champion? You know, I mean, Vince, he's got a great mind for the business, and he had guys work with him and stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm getting off the beaten track here. But anyway, I knew what I was doing, and I trained a lot of guys, and uh, and I still hear from them from doing it, you know. But uh, that was that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, I'll tell you, I don't mind getting off the track anywhere. We we do that a lot here on this uh, program. And and since you mentioned Jim, because, you know, I, I, I had the opportunity to work with him quite a bit, um, he he kind of he remains kind of this enigma that uh, you know that nobody really ever understood him, and those who were close to him uh, knew him in a different way than a lot of other people did. Um, do you think in in some ways it was almost maybe like too much, too quick, uh, where he didn't really have the opportunity to, and it wasn't like he just showed up, but uh, you know someone like you had had years and years in the business and had seen just about everything, the highs and lows. And by the time you got there, uh, you understood the business pretty well. Um, it, it didn't seem like Jim ever felt like he fit in. And it was difficult for him because that uh, success and fame came so quickly. Uh, yeah, he, he was, he was kind of, into himself quite a bit, you know, and yeah. <laughs> I used to call him Dr. Depression all the time because he was always depressed because he wasn't doing anything and possibly in the bottom line, you know, mm. and, uh, yeah. I just, I mean, you know, being in the office and doing what you did, you know, how it works with the money. And, uh, I, I remember being on the, speaking of money, I remember being on the survivor series, Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there was four or five of us, one team, and four or five on the other team. And all the guys, let me stop here and say, all the guys that were on the other team are now dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know a lot of them are gone. Yeah. Oh, oh. But anyway, I, I, you know, it just, I'm getting off the track here. My mind went blank here for a second, but it, it just, it's We were talking about that Survivor Series in 88. Yeah. 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 What the thing of it is, and this may not be a lot to the big superstars, but I mean, for three minutes work one time, I made, I made $5,000 and, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. sitting there thinking, what are these guys making on top? You know, it's, yeah. it's incredible. You know, there's a lot of millionaires that are up there now and, uh, it's, you know, it's money and the showmanship. 
the announcing everything combined is what makes it so you know and i can understand why he was a little bit depressed about it it got me too because i wanted to do it too but at least i can say i was up there and i enjoyed the time it was a lot of fun a lot of traveling unbelievable you know yeah, no, no kidding. I mean, those, uh, and that was because uh, at the time they were doing so many house shows. I, I remember, you know, doing the event center that we used to, you know, do 90 markets a week where we were updating. And that didn't mean there were 90 different uh, shows, but the fact that they were doing some, you know, shows every single night, they had A, B, and C teams out there. And it, it really was, uh, it was brutal to, uh, you know, to do that schedule because be- not only. <laughs> they what? I was just going to say they they I nicknamed the third team the buttermilk run, and yeah. uh, because you know we'd have some of the house shows that didn't draw anything. I mean they drew. You knew if you were going to be on a show with Hogan, you were going to make some money. Right. It's real simple. You know, yeah. I mean he's he was a multimillionaire time, many times over, and he deserved it. He was the commodity. You know, I remember one time we're at San Francisco and we're waiting to get on a plane. And he's running down there, and he's saying, "God, come on, guys!" He said, "I'll put you on this other plane, first class." He says, "Because I got to spend this money." I, I'm sitting there looking. Okay, I'll take the ride, you yeah. know. Uh, but yeah. uh, and he was. Here's an example of, and I'm going off the away from he me, but me, Hercules Hernandez, Big Boss Man, and. Uh, what was his name? Big boss man. And, uh, and Hogan were sitting in the dressing room in Des Moines, Iowa. And he said, you guys want to go with me? They had a Learjet out there. I said, sure. We walked out the back door. The chauffeur's waiting, takes our bags, takes us to the airport. We hop on the Learjet and I forget where we went, but when we got there, there was another chauffeur and, uh, you know, <laughs> Most people don't live like that, you know, and uh, it was it was fun, you know. Yeah, uh, it was good to be friends with Holden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I enjoyed him. He was a, he's a very nice man, you know. Yeah. And yeah. somebody's told me that he wants to be in the, another one of the uh, uh, WrestleManias. And I said, I hope his hip replacements hold up. That's all I can tell you, you know, because well. a lot of guys have had to have knees and hips replaced. And, uh, you know, it's, well, it's like being in a car wreck every night, especially back yeah, then. just about, so, you know. yeah, well, and you were, and you were doing it, uh, you know, six or seven times a week, maybe even more. Cause sometimes it had double shots on the weekend. So, uh, yeah, that, uh, that's a lot of, oh, a lot of it, uh, damage that you, you endure. Yeah. You, it's incredible, John, that, you know, you could, you go to the TV taping. Well, that might start at, eight in the morning and end at midnight because yeah. you were doing tapings and tapings to shoot them out across the country. So when we got there, they could make some money, but I mean, you'd stop. And I remember chief Jay Strongbow would sit there at a table and he would have stacks of tickets for you. And mm-hmm. that forbid you ever lost one. Because you pay it yourself, but I mean, this guy was just handing them out like crazy. I, I've never seen that. But I mean, we would fly. I'd start in Dallas and I'd fly to New York, and then from there, mm-hmm. then we do a taping on the Madison Square Garden, and then from there, we'd either 
take the route up by Canada or take the the, the, the mill route by, say, like uh, Kansas, Iowa, and all those places, or take the southern route down like Florida and go that way. But, I mean, it's just, it was incredible that had them had things lined out for us. Yeah. Um, do you look back and, uh, you know, it's all a matter of timing. And like I, I said before, this this really didn't start to happen until, you know, 85. It was, you know, it was in the works before then, but until WrestleMania one, uh, before things really took off. Uh, do you think about, man, if I would have been maybe uh, if this happened 10 years earlier in my career, it may have been a different story. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, I mean, by the time I retired, I was 42. I get guys calling me now on Facebook and stuff and saying, I'm five foot nine, I weigh 185, and I can get in the ring and go, go, go. And I, I, when I went to New York, I was about 250. Had a 56-inch chest, 21-inch arm, and almost six foot tall. There were 20 yeah. guys with dimensions, except they were six months two you know size yeah. sometimes means everything especially in that business you know and if you've got the right gimmick and you got the size you're going to make some money yeah especially back then size was a you see a lot you know you see a lot uh smaller guys these days finding great success but back then it was the the big men uh you know and and there was a you know it's a few rarities i mean you know, people like bret hart and you know that weren't these monsters but that was pretty much the the call of the day then, and so uh, to make it uh, even as a six footer, as you said, uh, wasn't easy. You really had to be something special, like a Bret Hart, uh, for that to happen. Absolutely, I mean he was a master technician, and you know, and he's yeah. second generation. Yeah, he trained and trained and trained. You know, and uh, great guy, very quiet. It didn't say a lot. I remember he caught me with a forearm in the head, and we finished the match. And he said, "Great match, Scott." I said, "We wrestled." I mean, I I got a concussion. He hit me so hard <laughs> in the head, and I mean, you know, he apologized for it. I said, "Don't worry about it." I said, "It happens," you know. I said, "If yeah. I if I had not been in that coma, I'd have, I'd have given you one back." You know, <laughs> in your business. Getting a rece- you would have uh, delivered a receipt, but, huh? But yeah. uh, what a technician. What a, an absolute pleasure to work with, except when you get potato pie, you know. Yeah, but, which didn't happen very, very often, because, of course, he's a tactician. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, so, 
Scott, take me back though. I mean, where did this all begin? I know you were you were uh, born in Dallas and then uh, grew up in Amarillo. Uh, so tell me about it. I mean, from the beginnings, and were you a, a big athlete as a as a kid? Uh, yeah, I, I was over the thing of football and all this stuff, you know. And yeah. then I got to watching. You know, Terry Funk and I were friends, and I still talk to Terry daily. Really? And uh, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you a few stories, but but anyway, I'm up there. And I get the bug, and I want to wrestle. And now how old are you at this point? I don't know how to get in. Oh. Probably in my twenties, uh, early twenties. Okay. And because uh, I got out, I got twenty-two to forty-two. Yeah, that's about right. Right. Anyway, I uh, I met uh, Bobby Duncan, and uh, uh, I told him about it, you know, and, and introduced me to Duke Myers and Dick Murdoch and uh, Terry, and well, they got me out there in the ring. At, in Amarillo, and they just beat the holy crap out of. That's they realized true. that they weren't going to get rid of me, and so they decided they would teach me about the business. Yeah. You know, and that's how I got started. But you, you know, you look back, and I'm proud to say, guys like Dusty Rhodes, uh, Ted DiBiase, all the guys from Amarillo. I mean, all these guys. You know, we all went to West yeah. Texas State at different times, but I mean. And, uh, it, you know, I mean, what, what a group of talent and Dick. Yeah. Murdoch, no kidding. And, oh, I mean, all these guys and they were working with me, you know, did you play and, football uh, there too? I tried to tore up my knee right off the get go. Oh. So I didn't get it uh-huh. anyway. <laughs> I got it. This is the funniest. It's a cruel, but funny story. <laughs> when I, they finally broke me in, and uh, and Dory Senior was still alive. God bless him. So anyway, he uh, had me uh, work with my first match, and it was on TV. So he t- we're sitting back there, and Senior says, "Okay, Dick." He says, "I want you to hard wave, even my bl- black eye." I said, "Oh boy." And I, you know, I knew all the lingo and all that. So we get out there to the ring, and I, he said, all right, here it comes. And I just shut my eyes and wham, just, and nothing. Did not blacken up, not blossom up or anything. We get back to the dressing room, and Senior is furious. Now, he's an old-timer. You know, yeah. he'd probably been doing it from the 40s up to the 60s or, or 70s at the time. And he said, Murdoch, I'll beat you to death. He he rears back. I said, "Wait a minute, Mister Funk." <laughs> I call him. I said, "Don't hit me with that ring." I said, "You'll rip me apart." I said, "Oh, I'm sorry." And when he did, said, "Sorry," took it out there. Man, he knocked me on my tail end, and I, you know, got up and my eye I was swollen a whole bit, <laughs> and I did not know at the time. Al Hayes told me when I came to New York, he was announcing there or something. Mm-hmm. He said, you won't know what, you didn't know what happened after you got hit. And I said, no, what? He said, he caromed off you and hit Murdoch and hit Terry because they were laughing at him. The old man was funny that way. 
Uh, <laughs> that was my introduction of, you know, being a tough guy and taking what they wanted to give to me. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and it was a funny thing, you know. But, so that, uh, that did blacken your eye, I would have done anything. Oh, anything except killing somebody, I would have done it just to get out to get in the business, you know, because I wanted I to be something. I wanted to be somebody. And uh, I talk about it in my book, One Last Ride, you know, that story. And uh, there's so many stories in this book, Sean, that you just, you know, I mean, we rode in cars all the time. But we didn't fly. We flew some, but not like they do now. But we we rode and rode. And I'll never forget. Uh, Spuddy Monroe was up in Amarillo at the time. He said, Scott, you're going to do, you're going to make 2500 I said, what do you mean? I'm thinking, man, that's a lot of money. He said, no, that's miles. If you've ever been yeah. in the Amarillo Territory, you'd know what I'm talking about. You go from Amarillo, you go up to Colorado Springs, you go across to El Paso, you come down to San Angelo, and you go back up to Amarillo. And I'm telling you, you can wear a car out in a couple of months. It's just, it's yeah. He drove and drove and drove and, you know, it was, it was enduring, you know, and we used to have what they call baloney blowouts. You'd stop after the match, you'd go to the 7-Eleven, pick up the baloney and cheese and all that other stuff and your beer. And one guy would make it, one guy pass the beer. That's what they call baloney blowouts. Of course, you can't do that on a, a plane nowadays, but it no. was fun back then, you know, hey, it was, and, there was and so everybody was, yeah, and everybody was drinking a beer, right? Even the guy behind the wheel. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll give an example of beer drinking. I'm in Colorado with the giant, Andre. And Andre liked me because we were the same age and we got along good. And, and uh, if he liked you, well, you know this, if he liked you, he called you boss. If he yeah. didn't like you, you could be standing there with $100 bills hanging off of you. He wouldn't talk to you. It was embarrassing, yep. you know. But yeah. anyway, so we're up in Colorado Springs, and I'm. this was in 70. I got a – no, this was 73. Uh, I had a 72 Chevy Blazer, and he said, you mind if I, if I drive? I said, no, not at all. So we reared back the front seat. It was like a bench seat, and we had bought two and a half cases of beer. And we had the bologna and everything else. So I'm making the sandwiches and we're drinking. And it's wintertime. Mm. It's old. And we're drinking and he's driving, you know, and he comes from France. Whoops, dropped my phone. Anyway, he comes from France and, you know, they have a lot of ice and snow around there. And, and I think he's what, Russian and French or some combination like that. But anyway, we're driving along. And I said, Andre, you got to remember these New Mexico cops, you know, we're going over to Albuquerque. I said, these New Mexico cops will nail you if they catch you speeding. Mm. Okay, boss. <laughs> I'm, you know, he's going through that two cases of beer like it's nothing. And I'm, I'm thinking you can have some of mine because I wasn't going to drink two cases, uh, two yeah. six packs. But anyway, we get stopped. This is in my book, One Last Right. We get stopped. And I go, oh, God, man. The back seat is full of beer. Go to the seat. You see the seat. He gets out. And the cop's a big dude himself, about 6'8". And he looked. <laughs> he said, huh, 
you're on driving giant. He said, yours got on case. I said, yeah. I'm sitting there still drinking. He said, guys, I hope you're not drunk. He said, and I got four little boys that love you to death. Find autographs. <laughs> I said, we'll do better than that. I said, we'll take some pictures out and sign them for you. He said, all right, just get there. And if anybody stops you again, you don't know me. You hadn't seen me or anything like that. And I thought to myself, only with a seven foot four giant could I get away with something like this. Yeah, absolutely. It, Sean, it was incredible, you know. But uh, you know, we and I've got so many stories like that in yeah. my book that you know, I mean, with people like Bruce Bernard, Bruce Swayze, and uh, you know, I, I don't know how much time we've got left on this thing or not. But I'm telling you, I, it's you know, I just recall all of these fun things that we did. And there was so much camaraderie, you know, and you get in a spot, you know, and somebody says, oh, it's all fake or phony or something. Well, you know what was on because the people would be, I mean, our guys would be whipping people's tails like crazy, you know, just to protect the business, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I signed on autographs. Andre signed them. We got away and went over to Albuquerque. I thought only with this man could I do that. You know, yeah. otherwise, I mean, if it had been you and me, we'd be buried under the jail. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, I bet you could probably do a book just uh, on tales from the road because, uh, that was, you know, where you spent a vast majority of your time. And, uh, you know, you had, uh, certain guys that you hung with and, and, uh, that was kind of, that was the classroom for the, uh, the younger guys, and uh, it was, uh, you know, a, a, a time when, the, you know, guys would swap stories that had, that had seen it all. So it must have been, uh, you know, quite an experience every time. It, most of them are road stories. It, uh, I, I, we went, when we were in San Antonio, we drove to Odessa, Texas. It was about know, almost 400 miles one way, and then we turn around and come back. Mm-hmm. You talk about getting blitzed. We would do that like crazy. One time, this is so funny, we would rent a Lincoln Continental for us, which divide the cost. Yeah. And uh, we're coming back from Odessa one night. And, you know, it's just crazy. And all of a sudden, I get a flat tire in a Lincoln. Well, I opened up the trunk, but not any jack there. But there is a uh, know, thing that uh, takes the lug, uh, lug, lug wrench. Yeah, I'm just thinking about it. Anyway, and I'm looking, and I've got Tony Atlas <laughs> and Ivan with Now, both of them were humongous in their own way. Yeah. Back right tire. Thank God it wasn't the front because it was the engines up there. <laughs> but anyway, I said, guys, if we can figure out how to do this, I'll get that wheel on. First of all, we and I took a lug. We yanked it off, and I slammed the And Ricky, who else with us? And Ricky Romero. You know, uh-huh. he helped me put the tire on. I said, nobody is ever going to believe this. I swear to God this happened. They picked that sucker up. I slammed it on there, and we went, you know. And uh, I saw Ivan the other day, 
we were up in New York doing one of the meet and greets, you know, and, and I'm selling my books. And he, I said, do you remember that? He says, oh, yeah. You look at Ivan now, you think he can pick up a waste uh, basket. Now, you know, it's just, <laughs> I mean, he's dropped down to about 150 pounds. Yeah. But uh, it just, just stories like that. And Back in the day. On yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, it was so much fun, you know. Yeah. And it was tiring. It was grueling, but we loved it, and we did more, drink more than our fair share of beer. I would say. Oh, you, know, you you mentioned you mentioned Al Hayes, uh, and I I believe you're referring to uh, Lord Alfred Hayes, who was uh, an announcer, and I worked with him uh, quite a bit. And we became very very good friends. But um, I always love to hear stories about his time in Texas because uh, he spoke fondly of of working in that territory. Um, do you have any other stories about, about Alfred that, uh, when you were down there? Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes, he used to, first yeah. of all, he used to call aluminum aluminum. I yes. don't know why. I guess it's an English <laughs> thing, I'm sure. Yes. But, uh, we went in El, you know, we would wrestle in El Paso and we'd go across the border and get blitzed. But, buddy. Mm. Put a tab of acid in his drink, mm. and you know it took a little while for it to affect him. And he's well, all of a sudden he's screaming like a girl. And I said, Alfred, Alfred, get a hold of yourself. What's the matter? He said, There's a frog in my drink. I said, What? <laughs> he said, Yeah. And somebody had taken one of these little mugs. Had a little frog in the bottom of it, then poured his drink in there. And when he got to the bottom, he thought the frog was going to attack him. I'm uh, laughing. I'm laughing so hard, Sean. You can't imagine, you know. And we had to hang on to it. And it takes a while of that stuff to wear off. And uh, <laughs> he, we got him through it. And he, oh, he. He's such a sweet, he was such a sweetheart of a guy. And I wrestled yeah. him many times. And he'd come up with these funny sayings in the ring. You know, we'd do something. He'd, something. He said, okay. He said, I'm going to do the dipsy doodle. I'd go, what? <laughs> he'd do something funny that they do in England. And I'm sitting there going, I'm behind the times. Either that or he's ahead of the time. I'm not sure. But he, yeah. he, he, he couldn't find a, a nicer guy. And may I say that his wife was a drop dead gorgeous lady, and they had a beautiful daughter and son. You know, yeah. I'll put them in that. Yeah, he uh, I yeah, he was. You know, a lot of people remember him. You know, through with the WWF, and he was a uh, always a baby face. But uh, you know, and and like I said, the, the whole time I knew him, I never heard him utter an expletive ever. He would say if something bad happened, he'd say how unfortunate. But. Um, a lot of people don't realize what a great heel he was. He was a tremendous heel. If you and I know down in that territory, uh, he he loved it. And uh, but a lot of people don't know that that he was he was he was a, a great heel. I learned a lot from him. And speaking of learning a lot, I learned the most valuable lesson I could ever learn to being in the business. I'm in Los Angeles with uh, Bob Euchre, and then Luthez comes up. Bob's looking mm -hmm. for all the young girls, and I'm going, just a minute, let's watch the matches. And then I, I turn around, and here's Luthez. I said, Lou, what are you doing? He said, I'm watching the matches. 
I said, it's the second match, Lou. He said, Scott, something I need to tell you. You can always steal something from somebody and put it into your mm -hmm. repertoire. He said, and I never, ever forgot that. And I always watch the matches, always do, mm -hmm. because you do it. You could, you know, you could learn things. You know, I learned how to take a bump that Harley Race did. I learned Ray Stevens, how he'd do the, it, it was a forward flip over and he'd come up on sitting on top of the top turnbuckle. Uh, Ernie Ladd taught me how to do what I call the hangman. He'd shoot you into the ropes. You hook the, the let's see, the top rope with your right hand and the left would go away and your neck would be attached to it. It's not a easy uh, move and I wouldn't mm -hmm. advise anybody to try it because it, it could be brutal, but Ernie taught me how to do that. And I learned things from these guys, you know, I mean, geez, you know, how many, you've got some of the, you've got the best athletes in the world doing this stuff in wrestling. And I, I really appreciated it. And, I, that's what I did. So, Scott, tell me, though, about, uh, you know, it's a bygone era, I mean, uh, with the territories. And back then, that's the way it worked. You guys would work in certain territories. You might uh, get a year out of it or or so. And then uh, and, and, and you would work that territory. Like you mentioned, that one loop that you would do in Texas, going to Colorado Springs all the way around back, you know, 2,500 miles. But then you'd go to another territory, yeah. and they would have the same, uh, you know, They'd have the same loops or whatever they did with her, and you would go, and they would pick you up because they'd have a talent that they needed to, you know, give a little break to. You'd come in, you'd be fresh uh, with new storylines. How did that work back then, and and what do you remember of, uh, you know, how the business worked? Charlotte was Jim Crockett's territory, and they yeah. had probably fifty or sixty different wrestlers out there and you could go like you did in New York. You could simply because mm -hmm. of the territories. And, uh, it was, you know, it, it was grinding because you had to drive, you know, an example. Yeah. We drove from Charlotte up to Norfolk, Virginia, and it's uh -huh. about 440 miles. Anyway, the crow flies yeah. and, you know, and then we'd wrestle up there. Then we either, go across to Virginia and do a shot. Or if we were unlucky, we would do the go to Norfolk and then drive back to Charlotte because you get in around three or four in the morning and then you got to drive down to Columbia, South Carolina. So it was, it was brutal, you know, but I mean, after a while you just, you became numb to it, I guess. I don't know, but, uh, it was always that way, you know, and you would, Stay in the territory, maybe stay in there two, three years. But you know, really? you could go to uh, Florida. You could go in Mobile territory. You could go to uh, uh, Leroy McGurk's ter territory, and uh, it was just you know, it, it, or you go San Francisco, Roy Shires. Uh, then uh, the Hearts had their territory up in Canada, so right. it was just. You know, it, you tried to make it where you could, if you left one, you, you could be close to the next ter territory. It sometimes didn't work, and sometimes it did. But uh, that's the way it was, you know. And we just, like Dusty Rhodes kept saying, keep on keeping on. That's, 
that's the way it was. Yeah. And and were uh, uh, most of these, the vast majority, were they always like one night shots? You would you would get there, uh, work the work the show, and then the next morning you're rolling on to somewhere else or rolling on that night. Sometimes if it was long, we'd roll up that night. Sometimes if it was shorter, we'd stay over. Yeah. You know, but most of them were one one show shots, and you'd just go do the next one. Oh, brutal, John! I'm telling you what, oh. I felt like taking Novocaine and shooting in my tail end because oh, you just sit and drive and sit. You know, we'd switch guys. You know, um, especially when you do those shots you know, from. Charlotte, Charlotte up to Norfolk, Virginia, back to Charlotte. They go down south to, say, like Columbia or South or Savannah or somewhere like that. Uh, but that's what was required of us if we want to make a living. That's what we did. Yeah, and you're bumping, you're bumping every every day too. Uh, was it a good living? I mean, when you did you make a good living? Where did you get by? Because you're, you know, you're paying your expenses too when you're traveling. Sometimes it was, and sometimes it wasn't. In the early seventies, I drive three hundred miles for a twenty-five dollar payoff. Wow! Yes. And wow. Uh, I, it was just, <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, you love it, you stay with it, and hope that you can become a main eventer and make some good money. Right. You know, and uh, it was uh, it was brutal though. Yeah, I mean, uh, people don't, uh, you know, they, they don't understand it, and especially today. It's, of, of course, a very, very different business. But, uh, you know, it was it was really tough, and especially uh, how you, how could you have a family? Because a lot of the time you didn't want to take time off because that means you're not earning uh, money that night. And so uh, would you would you have to just say, you know what, i got to step away for a couple of weeks, or how would you do that? Either that or, or uh, like me, I was married three times. They tell you what's going on. You know, you can't, it's not, um, the wrestling is not a business for people that are married. Even though some are and can endure it, you know, it's yeah. it's just the, the way of the road, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I tried anyway. <laughs> Well, it's it, it is. It's a very difficult time. That I just I'd love to hear the stories though, because uh, a lot of people don't understand how these roads were and literally paved by by people like you and 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 others coming up through the business uh, to make it what it is today. And uh, that included, and I know you spent some time where where you went on the other side of the world. Uh, you worked for Jim Barnett. and you know we're talking back then. That is a long way to go, uh, but. Was it, uh, you know, worth the experience of doing that? And I don't know how how long or how often you did it, but what was that experience like? It, Jim Barnett saw me to Eddie, and he said, my boy, I want you to come <laughs> over to Australia. I had never left this sort of part of the world before. Mm-hmm. And I, I went from, let's see, Texas, Hawaii, and then flew and flew and flew. And we finally got to uh, is where we landed. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize that it's summer over there when it's the middle of winter over here. Right. I get yeah, off that plane and it's 110 degrees 
the wind's blowing like a blast furnace. And Jimsy goes, my boy, I'm so glad to have you here. Oh, boy. Anyway, it was fun. I met a a lot of good guys, uh, Mario Milano, and I met Dennis McCord and Bob Roop. And then, you know, I saw them again when we came back in different territories. But uh, we went, we were, this was my first experience of flying everything. Back in the 70s, you uh, didn't drive over there because it was like two lane highways and their, their trips were brutal. We, like, we would fly from Sydney to uh, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, uh, Brisbane. Uh, Tasmania, and uh, it was different. And I met guys like Spiros Arion, great guy, you know. And uh, but I came back and I went to Charlotte again, like an idiot because the trips were so long. But the money wasn't bad. But uh, the you know over here, you weren't going to make that much. You were lucky if you were going to make fifty to a hundred dollars a night. You know, which yeah. nowadays these guys would laugh at you if, they, if you don't. That's what you're going to make. But uh, it was an experience. I'll put it that way. <clears throat> yeah, well, it was, and uh, it was, you know, quite a quite a ride for you. I mean, uh, uh, people remember you from the the time that you spent with the WWF. But man, you had uh, some incredible career, and I hope that uh, folks take the time to uh, you know find out by. Uh, uh, getting the book, uh, One Last Ride, The Tale of Cowboy Scott Casey. So you get a chance to see what's going on with the business today. Uh, are you encouraged or, or uh, discouraged with what's happening? A little bit of both. Simply for the fact, I'm encouraged that they're, they're making big money and, the, and they're, they're showing some unusual moves and stuff. And But I'm discouraged because when I was in the business, when I started out, you know, I had like Ole Anderson and Gene Anderson, and uh, they they would teach me. And they said, it's like telling a story. You have to tell the story and yeah. make the people believe you yeah. and make it work. And that's hard. It's hard to do. I mean, people come out there, they want to be entertained. You know, if you don't know yeah. what the heck you're doing, you're going to. You're going to be side of the road, you know, looking for a lift somewhere. But, I mean, it just you just had to be part of it and know what you're doing. Well, I hear that all the time that, uh, you know, the difference. I mean, they, they're uh, tremendous athletes, and what they can do in the ring is just astounding. But uh, there's a real art to storytelling, and I think that we've lost some of that because uh, the attention span and uh, people wanting that quick fix. But uh, – yeah, I miss that, but it's good to see. I like seeing organizations like AEW and MLW now, uh, and uh, also you know the new NWA, uh, you know, are out there and they're and they and they're thriving. So I, I think it's it's good for the business, and and uh, you know maybe we'll see a change. I think they're starting to listen to what the fans really want. You have to take what you uh, and mold it and make it work. I said because. You know, I mean, you've got guys that can do anything in that ring, you know, and if you don't work at it, they're not, people are going to just uh, get out of the way. We don't believe you or anything like that. I mean, the the wrestling fans are as smart as we were, 
and, you know, yeah. even though we protected it, but now they're as smart as we are. And they, you know, you have, they need, I still think they need to go back to telling a story. You start out, yeah. you know, you maybe do one high spot, boom. It's like I told a kid one time, I said, boom, I'm going to give you a bump and cover you. And I said, don't wait till two and a half to kick out simply for the fact we just started the match. That's yeah, it's common right. sense. You've got yeah. to be able to take a bump, me cover you, you kick out. Maybe take a couple more bumps, I'll cover you one and a half kick out. Two, yeah. you know, and these are things that people don't realize, but it's yeah. the truth. You have, uh -huh. you have to make them believe and you have to show what's going on, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Take me for a ride. Well, um, before we wrap up, though, I have one last question for you, Scott. And uh, what was it that made you finally decide to uh, write it all down? And we don't write really uh, write it all down now. So maybe use the keyboard. But what made you finally decide to tell the story in uh, one last ride? I don't know. I guess I got marching around, you know, and people were always saying, well, did you see this match or that match? You know, and, I thought, hmm. and then I'd heard that one of the guys wrote a book. And I thought, well, I could do that. Yeah. And it took me about a year, a year and a half. And Nick Massey is my partner in crime. I mean, I have to give credit to where credit's due. And he yeah. knows as much about the business, and he's told me stories that I've forgotten. And uh, <laughs> he just, uh, I mean, it's great that uh, he helped me out so much. And uh, I, he would be. He would clean up some of my messes in the story. And in the book, I tell people, say, look, I cuss a little bit in this. And sometimes <laughs> I cuss a lot simply for the fact because we were grown men. We did what we wanted to do. And if you don't like it, don't read it. It's real simple. Right. Don't read it. if you. Yeah. But I, you know, that's just the way it was, you know, and I wrote the book from the heart. Uh, I did not throw any of the guys that were married under the bus that were messing around with women or whatever. I said, I, 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 I kept that straight there like that. And, uh, it just, you know, once I started doing it and telling stories, it was so much fun. Well, I'll tell you folks, you know, don't miss your chance, uh, to hear all these stories. I mean, I, I, I definitely want to get a copy of this book, Scott. Um, and, uh, it's called one last ride, the tale of cowboy Scott Casey. How do they get it? How can they get it? I tell you, if you talk with Nick, you can reiterate this, but I know it's blurb.com. It's HTTP slash slash, and I don't remember the rest of it. And he All they need to know. Ribbing him because I tell him, say, what is it? And he'll say, you're ribbing me, aren't you? You know. You can get on blurb.com, and then uh, if you search uh, One Last Ride, The Tale of Cowboy Scott Casey, it'll take you there. So, folks, do that and uh, pick it up because it is a great read. And I, I – I, I want once I get a chance to get through it, then I'll have to get you back on, Scott, and talk about more of these stories. I haven't even touched the surface on them, but it, you know, when you do it, you do it, you know. And I did. It was so much fun, you know. And my knees are bad, my hips are bad, and uh, I would say what Wahoo said when I broke my little finger on my left hand. My little finger, it's hanging down by the side of my hand. I yeah. wrestled Dory Funk Jr. for the world title in Amarillo. 
and we had a two out of three fall match. They don't even do those anymore, I don't think. Yeah. And uh, it's called a collar and elbow lockup. Yeah. He caught my finger. Boom. And I, we finished the first fall. I go back to the dressing room, and here's Wahoo sitting in there. And I don't, if you, did you ever know Wahoo? If you didn't, you missed something. But anyway. Yeah, yeah I never had the chance. He said, he looked at me, and I'm sitting there cussing and screaming and hollering and moaning and groaning. I'm telling you, Sean, it hurt all the way up my arm and down my side. It hurt so dang, dang bad. But he looked at me, he said, anybody tell you you had to do this for a living? Uh, oh, no. He said, well, shut the F up. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, you, because now he's an old timer. He said, you can find sympathy alphabetically in the dictionary between shit and syphilis. Look it up. <laughs> and I turned that whining and moaning off like it was nothing. I mean, Sean, you know, I've said thinking you miserable, you know, but I wasn't going to say anything to him because he was probably the meanest man that, that I ever wrestled and wrestled with. We were good friends, but I mean, he, he and that was 40 something years ago. He told me that, and I never forgot it. Yeah. yeah that's where you can find sympathy. Yeah. yeah. And it was. But Scott Casey, you know. Scott Casey, it's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for coming on primetime. Well, Sean, I really appreciate it. I'll, I'll be glad to come back anytime. Boy, I uh, really, really enjoyed that conversation with Scott. Um, and, and like I said, uh, going into that, uh, really, it, it's uh, he he's like his story in many ways is uh, parallels a lot of the most successful wrestlers in history, especially during that that period of time where, you know, he talks about, you know, he paid his dues. He worked for all these other organizations. He, uh, you know, did the road trips all across Texas and Colorado and Florida and uh, the northern part of the states and just, uh, you know, did it all. And worked with some of the biggest names in professional wrestling, uh, with Andre the Giant and, you know, all these other guys that he mentioned. And yet he never reached that level. And for whatever reason, that's just the way it happens. But you got to think about the fact that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of professional wrestlers that have been uh, out there over the years. It uh, just doesn't happen for everybody. And as we talked about in that conversation that I remember when I was with the World Wrestling Federation. When you're talking about the best of the best, there were not that many places for them to go to be at that elite level. There was the WWF. That was the top, right? And you've got 60-plus guys to get to make that roster. <laughs> I mean, it, it, they're, it, they're just... you imagine how competitive that had to be? Uh, there were other opera, you know, other organizations you could go to that were you know, uh, at, a, at, a, at a, an elite level, but they didn't have that many roster spots. So uh, a, a tremendous uh, career, and uh, he's got a book out. I hope you'll check it out uh, called One Last Ride, The Tale of uh, Scott Casey. And uh, it's, uh, you know, you just look it up uh, on the Internet, and you can, you can track it down. But uh, he says, you know, he's got just tons of stories. So I uh, really enjoyed talking with Scott Casey. I love getting guys like that on because, uh, as I said before we uh, started the conversation, that, um, you know, he just is 
he just put it out there. You know, he, uh, he just is very honest. Uh, I love what he said. You know, he goes to Vince and he says, you know, do I have a, do I have a, a spot on the roster? And Vince says, no, <laughs> you know, I mean, wow. And then, uh, you know, him saying, you know, I just was that, that was it, you know, and, um, he, he would come back and do a couple of spot shows, but, uh, he was, he was done. So Scott Casey, thank you so much for coming on. Okay. Uh, you know, as always, uh, Keep checking out what, we, what we're putting out there. We'd love to uh, have you uh, along with us, along for this ride. And uh, if you uh, want to get to me and, uh, you know, uh, what, for whatever reason, if you've got a question you want to ask me or, or a request or, or something like that, please, 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 please um, uh, email me. Email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com, primetimemooney at gmail.com. And uh, a quick apology here to uh, Rob Francois. Uh, Rob, really, I am uh, sorry I didn't get to uh, wish you a big congratulations uh, before you had your 100th episode. Uh, I know that you were hoping I'd send something, but I really, I I don't know how I missed that. Uh, But I just wanted to give you a shout out here and say congratulations on your 100th episode of Rad Turtles uh, Wrestling Podcast. Uh, you guys uh, keep after it, and uh, I know you got a lot of people out there listening, and uh, it was a, a great show, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, that's I, belated, but I wanted to say congrats. So, Rob and the gang, uh, really, uh, thanks for your support, and uh, really keep doing what you're doing. I know a lot of people like it. So, congratulations to uh, Rad Turtles, the uh, the flagship, as Rob likes to call it. All right, keep listening. Remember, every Monday we've got uh, PTSM Network Classics. And then, of course, every Wednesday you get an original episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney. And then Saturdays we have our Vault episodes. Uh, As I said, uh, check out uh, our Patreon membership. You can get it all uh, early and ad-free for as little as $4.99. And uh, check out that and get more information. Go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. That's patreon.com slash primetime mooney follow us on twitter and instagram at primetime mooney and once again email me email me at primetime mooney at gmail.com all right that's going to do it thanks for listening everybody until next time i'm sean mooney and i am out <laughs>